Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 189. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. Go to brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N McClanahan.com. Give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll and I do have courses for purchase. And those that do enroll in the academy will get the best deals when new courses come out. So you're going to want to enroll and look for those best deals. Uh, the five courses you have to purchase are on the war. The Constitution, Secession, the Declaration, and Alexander Hamilton. So you're going to want to get those courses. They are college-level courses, particularly the last two, the course on the war and the course on the Constitution. Uh, they are well worth your time and money, so pick those up. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Also, if you go to learntruehistory.com, you can use my affiliate link to sign up for Liberty Classroom. And by doing so, you also help support The Brian McClanahan Show. Great website, best value on the web in terms of the amount of material you get for the money you spend. And, of course, I teach there along with Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, a lot of great uh, instructors. So you're going to want to go out and get a subscription to learn true TRUE history as well. And you can always get your Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. So going out to redbubble.com, do a search for my name, get your Brian McClanahan Show logo on all your apparel that they have there and also some other things like stationery and wall plates and clocks, a lot of great stuff. So get your Brian McClanahan Show gear and please always share this podcast around on social media and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which used to be iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, wherever you, wherever you listen to the podcast, leave a review. The more reviews, the better, and that will help push the podcast up the charts and get more people thinking locally and acting locally. All right, so here we are, the week of Thanksgiving. I thought it'd be nice to do a Thanksgiving special. And uh, in this particular case, I'm going to do a podcast or an episode on some misconceptions about American history. And I think one of the problems I see as I teach history to students every semester, um, first of all, it's that many of them are unprepared to even be in a college history course. And I think part of that is because We've been so conditioned uh, in our time as students when you're younger, particularly the current generation, that STEM classes are more important than anything else. We've got to get students doing math and science. And, of course, I agree that these courses are important. Math for critical and analytical, analytical thinking skills. Science, same thing. But the problem is the, the courses that are um, ignored for that purpose, the courses that are demoted at expense of science, are your geographies, histories, these type of courses. And so students come to me very unprepared. They come to me unprepared. There's, there's material I go over every semester that I shouldn't have to go over in a college environment, but I do because the students just don't 
have don't, don't grasp the knowledge. We live in the age of Google. In the age of Google, you don't have to know anything. You just Google it, you know, or you just ask uh, your smart device uh, what the answer to this question that you have is. And so this is this is problematic for the fact that we have at least one of the two major political parties just insisting that people go out and vote, no matter how how much you know or how little you know. Just go vote. I mean, Michelle Obama has stood up and saying, look, I didn't know anything, but I went and voted anyways. Now, what message is that sending to people? Uh, you don't know anything, but just go vote. So we live in, a, in an environment where we have democratic institutions. Uh, these democratic institutions then are perverted by the fact that we have a population that doesn't know anything. And this is why the founding generation was so very much against democracy, because they knew this back in the 18th century that you had these similar type of problems, even the 18th century. Democracy is a civic deity that is very problematic, ultimately. Now, I wouldn't want to live in a monarchy. It, For all of its problems, it is a, at least a representative democracy is the best type of political system you can have. It's, it's the mean between... Uh, you know, what we would have monarchy and then, or oligarchy, and then true democracy, where everything is decided by majoritarian vote. So we have this representative system. But that said, we need an educated population to do things and to make good choices. And maybe you would say, well, these people are educated because they, they t- partake in society and they have, a, they have a vested stake. I mean, a lot of these people don't. I mean, where, where's the skin in the game? for a vast percentage of the American population that pays very little in taxes, even if they do pay taxes for things like gasoline or food, their net, the net result of all that is typically not a negative for their life. I mean, they're actually getting money from the general government and goods and services. So where is the skin in the game? Their, their objective is to simply take from other people. Uh, we need to have a, a citizenry that is better educated. And that's why I do things like McClanahan Academy and teach it, learn through history, and and um, try with this podcast and other avenues to expand knowledge. Because you're listening to this, um, you are learning, hopefully, and hopefully I'm teaching you something. Hopefully uh, that you're getting something out of this. So one of the things that, of course, is the perversion of history is that, and I see this all the time is that New England was first and everything. And here we are on the eve of Thanksgiving. We've got the national holiday known as Thanksgiving that uh, was made so by Franklin Roosevelt. At least the day was designated. But even as early as the Washington administration, you had George Washington issuing a proclamation for a day of Thanksgiving. Now, whether the president can issue a proclamation at that time is a good constitutional question. But the idea was that somehow... Uh, this Thanksgiving that took place in Plymouth, Massachusetts, was the first Thanksgiving in America. And when you ask, when I ask my students, well, tell me, you know, where was the first Thanksgiving? Who, where was the first colony? I get a lot of times, well, it's Massachusetts, Ma- Plymouth, first colony, uh, thanks, first Thanksgiving, Massachusetts, first government, first civil government in America, Massachusetts. Uh, all of this is a direct result of the fact that the North won the war. And the Northern view of history has dominated the United States ever since. 
It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean it's right. But this is what we have. And when you go to places like, say, Hobby Lobby, right? And, you know, you go in there and you walk around and they've got their little Thanksgiving displays. And it's all about the pilgrims. And I think some of this has to do with evangelical Protestantism because the pilgrims have a special place in the canon, so to speak, of the evangelical Protestants when it comes to uh, religion. And so I remember I was at a, at a, with a friend at a, at a house, and um, the conversation turned to colonial America. And these were very devout Baptists. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging any, any evangelical Protestants. All I'm saying is that uh, these are very devout Baptists, and the conversation turned to Jamestown and Massachusetts, and they had a very negative view of Jamestown and Virginia, and a very positive view of Plymouth and Puritan Massachusetts. And so some of this, and Hobby Lobby, of course, is dominated by an evangelical Christian family. I mean, it's, it's their store. And so you see that, um, even in some of the Christian items that they have for sale there, they're, they're in no way <laughs> related to Orthodox Christianity um, in terms of the imagery that these items have. It's a great store, and, and uh, I, I truly enjoy my evangelical Protestant friends. They are wonderful people, and I wish we had more of them in America because things would be um, a lot different. Uh, but their view of the early founding of America and their, I think their distorted view of the Puritans uh, and who they were is problematic when teaching American history. So I'm going to set the record straight in this podcast, in this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show, about who actually had the first Thanksgiving and which colony we should celebrate when we start talking about American civics in particular, but America in general. Which colony led the way and which colony should lead the way when you start talking about American history? And which colony should we admire when it comes to things like government? Because there was one colony that stood above all others. And as John C. Calhoun said at one point, if this colony would just lead, we would be okay. Because this colony led for much of early American history and the United States was on a different path and in a different uh, political path because of the influence of this colony and then later state in the American Federal Republic. So let's start with this notion first of Thanksgiving. Now, I will say that one thing I do enjoy reading about with the pilgrims, I mean, look, remarkable people uh, took the leap to sail across the Atlantic, which most people don't realize how dangerous that was. I actually did a show, an episode on, if you go back and search for the, A Brave Vessel, the title of the, of the episode, I get into this dangerous, the danger of this Atlantic crossing. And so these are, these are brave people, of course, persecuted uh, in both England and then in Holland. Uh, and so the the pilgrims who were, I mean, we, we often confuse the pilgrims and the Puritans, two different groups of people. Uh, the pilgrims were a, were a brave people. And, but you also had the side of the pilgrims that most people don't understand. Number one, there were the adventurers on the Mayflower as well, and the adventurers were persecuted by the pilgrims. They were not accepted into pilgrim society. 
This is not an inclusive group of people. And I'll get into other things about their their first government, quote-unquote, which they didn't have. The first democracy, quote-unquote, which they didn't have. I'll get into all that in a minute. But these were a brave people. And, of course, landing in Massachusetts, way off course, and the climate that they had to uh, endure there uh, was difficult. And also their political economic system, social system of essentially socialism failed. And so you have to look and you have to admire Bradford for abandoning that and saying, look, what we're going to do is we're going to adopt uh, a policy where you have your own plot of land and you got you got to survive yourself. If you don't do it yourself, we're not propping you up. So it's often thought that you know capitalism saved the pilgrims. But they had distinct advantages in Massachusetts that the people and other colonies did not have. First of all, they had the American Indians there that did know English because of their contact for years with the English in Newfoundland. So, which, by the way, many of them were enslaved by the English in Newfoundland. This is, you know, the other part. But um, regardless, they had some advantages where colonists landing in other parts of North America and the, and the Caribbean did not have because those tribes did not speak English or Spanish or whatever the European language, and these people showed up French. They didn't speak those languages in the initial settlement. So that was a distinct advantage for the pilgrims and allowed them to uh, at least get out of the initial hole that they had dug themselves into with their socialist system and, of course, not knowing anything about how to prepare food in this particular new world and what to do. But they were also saved in 1622 by something else, and that was fresh supplies. And those fresh supplies came from another place. So the idea is that somehow the pilgrims had the first Thanksgiving in 1621. They had a good harvest, and they celebrated. They had had an annual Thanksgiving feast because of that. And so today, we celebrate that Thanksgiving on the third Thursday of November, and we go out and we wear our little hats, little buckles on our shoes, and we have little turkeys, and uh, you know we wear a little Puritan garb, uh, pilgrim garb. And so this is supposed to be the, the first Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, all of that is wrong. In fact, Massachusetts didn't have the first democracy, didn't have the first settlement, didn't have the first Thanksgiving, none of that, didn't have the first civil government. None of those things took place in Massachusetts and North America, and British North America in particular. None of those things happened. The idea that the North is first is complete hogwash. And there's a wonderful book about this by Susan Mary Grant entitled North Over South, and it's about this Northern imperialism following the war. Northern imperialism in many different ways. I mean, many of the things we do in American society are based on a Northern conception of not only society, but also history and culture and economics. So the North, we live in, and and I... (laughs) I had a colleague of mine say this. If we really want to think about it, what we have today, we are living in a Puritan-dominated world, in a New England-dominated world. America. We live in New England. We live in the thing that all of these New Englanders are trying to escape. And I remember I was listening to, um, I mean, even some... (laughs) Some major mainstream conservative, quote-unquote conservative pundits, get this. And I was listening to the Rush Limbaugh show the other day, and he was complaining about, after the election, uh, you know, how all these um, Northerners, Rust Belt, New Englanders as well, are moving into the South and changing the demographics of the South and making it purple. 
because what they do is they get out of New England because they hate it, or they get out of the Rust Belt because they hate it, but they, they don't understand that when they, when they come to wherever they're going, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, they're voting the very way that caused all the problems to begin with. You see, so this is why they just need to stay in these states. Um, but they're going there because of low taxes, but then they're voting higher taxes. They're going there because they want to escape over-regulation or all the problems that uh, these northern states have, and yet they vote for these things when they get there. It's You can't take the culture out of people. You can't do it. Southerners have always been welcoming to people moving into the South as long as they adopt Southern way of life. But now, that doesn't happen. So, because the South is always seen as the bad. You know, these people don't know anything. They're just a bunch of hayseeds, hicks. We just can't. So what we have, though, is a situation where they're, they're changing the political culture of the area because they're voting the way that they've always voted, the culture of their people. And so this is, again, New England dominating America. And most people don't like it. It doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right. Most people don't like New England dominating America. If you looked at, when you following the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and you looked at the, the division in the Senate on the, on the Democrats and Republicans, the Democrats are mostly all from New England or from California. I mean, you really see it. And you look at your election map, you see it. You see the pockets. You see where the New Englanders are. And uh, you, see, you see where these things are, these more puritanical... Uh, Americans, and I know that you know, the people. Don't, well, I'm not a Puritan, I'm, but the political culture that they have certainly is this, this cultural imperialism. You have to, you have to accept my culture, and not just that. My culture is better, so you're going to take my culture and like it. That was the Puritan mind. That's the city upon a hill. So, the Pilgrims weren't necessarily like that. They were more. They were separatists, and they just wanted to be left alone. But they weren't first at anything. So, who had the first Thanksgiving? Well. Depends on who you ask. It certainly wasn't Puritan Massachusetts. Depends on who you ask. There are Floridians that would say that they had the first Thanksgiving. Now, this is where you get into an annual event. I think you can make a distinct case that Florida certainly had the first Thanksgiving in North America. I don't think that that's incorrect. It's just like when you go back and you look at, and I, of course, when I did the show on Memorial Day and I talked about the Confederate origins of Memorial Day. And David Blight made a lot of hay out of the fact that there was a memorial event that took place in Charleston, South Carolina from former slaves where they commemorated the sacrifice of Union soldiers. There's no doubt the event took place, but was this Memorial Day? No, because it was a one-off. So you can't say it was the first Memorial Day because nobody recognized it as such. The first annual of Memorial Day took place uh, in Columbus, Georgia, or Columbus, Mississippi, depending on, you know, again, there's a day difference. But it was, it was the brainchild of former Confederates, or at least former Confederate women, to decorate, they called it Decoration Day, to decorate the graves of Union and Confederate soldiers in the South. And then the Grand Army, the Republic, picked up the process, and then they, they called it Memorial Day ultimately, later on. Decoration Day at first and ultimate Memorial Day. So the first Memorial Day was not this one-off event that took place in, in Charleston, South Carolina by former slaves. The event happened. It's nice commemoration, but it wasn't the first Memorial Day. 
The same thing is true with this Thanksgiving. You had a Thanksgiving in September of 1565, uh, and that is often considered to be, by Florida historians, to be the first Thanksgiving. Well, it was the first act of Thanksgiving in North America, but it was not the annual event known as Thanksgiving. Uh, so, I, I think that this is... It's, a wonderful, it's wonderful to know the story of this first Spanish Thanksgiving, a mass in communion with the, uh, with the American Indian tribes that were there. They had a meal with leftovers. Um, so, certainly. Um, certainly, I think that this was also an important event. There's also the theory that the first Thanksgiving was actually in St. Augustine. Uh, um, there was a first Thanksgiving before the one in St. Augustine when French Huguenots had a meal with the tribes to celebrate um, the establishment of Fort Caroline. Um, but again, a one-off event. A one-off event. So, were these things the first Thanksgiving? No. I mean, they were Thanksgiving events. They were Thanksgiving meals. They were Thanksgiving masses. Um, but they were not said to be annual events. Um, and I think that's an important understanding to take away from this. Now, you can say, though, that an event that took place in Virginia would be considered to be the first Thanksgiving. This is where you get into Virginia had the first Thanksgiving because it was supposed to be an annual event. And this Thanksgiving took place in November of 1619. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, December of 1619. Uh, December 4th, 1619, excuse me. Uh, and this had to do with the ship, the Margaret, which suffered on its Atlantic crossing for a couple of months. They finally arrived in the Chesapeake Bay in November of 1619. Uh, and when they landed ashore, when they waded ashore and at a place called uh, Barkley 100, now it's, it's spelled Berkeley, but it's actually Barkley is how they would have said it, they had a Thanksgiving. And they said it was going to be an annual event. And they had that annual event for two years until the entire colony was slaughtered by the Powhatan. <laughs> so this is why that Thanksgiving went away but not because uh, it was something that they decided to abandon. They couldn't help it. 347 colonists were killed in Virginia. And so this destroyed this annual event of a Thanksgiving. So you could say, well, the, the, the pilgrims had the continual event. They, they were never destroyed, and so they kept having it. But the only reason this Thanksgiving went away was because of the Indian attack, something the, the, the pilgrims did not have to go through. So again, the pilgrims had distinct advantages that the Virginians did not have, in that the Virginians were in an area with a hostile tribe who wanted to kill them. And so <laughs> the, the pilgrims didn't have that situation. I mean, there were some conflicts, of course, but not like what the, what the Virginians faced. Um, and there is a... <laughs> There was a descendant, uh, Graham Woodleaf, who says the reason that the that 
the Pilgrims have the record of having the first Thanksgiving is that they have better PR. He said it. So this is this gets back into that North over South. And why is that? Why did they have better PR? Well, because again, the North won the war, and so uh, you can you can understand how this could be problematic when you're starting to look at trying to determine real history, true history. This is why we have learned true history. This is why we have McLean Academy. Uh, and the this first Thanksgiving was actually discovered by Lion Gardener Tyler. Um, and uh, he stumbled upon a collection of papers, papers the Nibley Papers. And um, these papers, he said, conclusively proved um, that the first Thanksgiving originated in, in, their, in their region. Um, and so Lion Gardner Tyler is an important guy, and I'm actually going to get into this, well, these little pamphlets that he wrote. Lion Gardner Tyler was the grand, uh, I'm sorry, the son, excuse me, the son of uh, John Tyler, President John Tyler, a, a great historian, was president of William & Mary, was a historian by trade. He's often disparaged because he was pro-South, pro-Confederacy, uh, he loved Robert E. Lee, but he also loved early Virginia history. Of course, his father had served in the Confederate Congress, was president of the United States. And um, I consider John Tyler to be the greatest president in American history. But here you have Lion Gardner Tyler, and he's interested in putting Virginia first. And he actually wrote this little pamphlet, and if you want to see it, uh, if you just go to the Abbeville Institute website, it's entitled Virginia First. We, it was published back there in 2015. And uh, he, he gets in this, to the positions that Virginia was first in everything. And if Virginia again would just lead, everything would be okay. He begins. He has several points. Number one, the, fir- the name first given to the territory occupied by the present United States was Virginia. It was bestowed upon the country by Elizabeth, greatest of English queens. The United States of America are mere words of description. They are not a name. The rightful and historic name of this great republic is Virginia. We must get back to it if the country's name is to have any real significance. The rightful and historic name of this great republic is Virginia. (laughs) So he's saying the republic should be Virginia. Again, Virginia has to lead. And he gets into all the things that Virginia was first for. Virginia was the first colony of Great Britain. And her successful settlement furnished the inspiration to English colonization everywhere. For it was the wise Lord Bacon who said that, quote, as in the arts and sciences, the first invention is of more consequence than all the improvements afterwards. So in kingdoms or plantations, the first foundation or plantation is of more dignity than all that follow with. On May 13, 1607, the pioneers brought over by the Susan Constant, the Godspeed, and the Discovery arrived at Jamestown on James River and founded the Republic of the United States based on English conceptions of justice and liberty. The story of this little settlement is the story of a great nation expanding from small beginnings into one of more than 100 million people, inhabiting a land reaching finally from ocean to ocean and bounding in riches and power, till when the liberties of all mankind were endangered, the descendants of old Jamestown settlers did did in their turn cross the ocean and help to save the land from which their fathers came. Uh, before any other English settlement was made on this continent, democracy was born at Jamestown by the establishment of England's free institutions, jury trial, courts for the administration of justice, popular elections in which all the inhabitants took part, 
and a representative assembly, which met at Jamestown July 30th, 1619, and digested the first laws for the new commonwealth. You would think that if you read most American history that this actually took place with the Mayflower Compact. No, I mean, Tyler is right here. The first representative government was at Virginia. There at Jamestown and on the James River was the cradle of the Union, the first church, the first blockhouse, the first wharf, the first glass factory, the first windmill, the first ironworks, the first silkworms reared, the first wheat and tobacco raised, the first peaches grown, the first brick house, the first state house, and the first free school. In Virginia was the first assertion on this continent of the indissoluble connection of representation and taxation. During the 18th century, the royal governors often reproached the people for their republican spirit until on May 29, 1765, the reproach received a dramatic interpretation by Patrick Henry, arousing a whole continent to resistance against the Stamp Act. And he's talking about uh, the Virginia Resolves with Patrick Henry. He says Virginia founded New England. In 1613, a Virginia governor, Sir Thomas Gates, drove the French away from Maine and Nova Scotia and saved to English colonization the shores of Massachusetts and Connecticut. In 1620, the Pilgrim Fathers were inspired to go to North America by the successful settlement of Jamestown. They sailed under a patent given them by the Virginia Company of London, and it was only the accident of a storm that caused them to settle outside of the limits of the territory of the London Company, though still in Virginia. The Mayflower Compact, under which the 41 emigrants united themselves at Cape Cod, followed pretty nearly the terms of the original Virginia Company's patent. In 1622, the people at Plymouth were saved from starvation by the opportune arrival of two ships from Jamestown, which divided the provisions with them. Without this help, the Plymouth settlement would have been abandoned. The 41 Pilgrim Fathers established an aristocracy or oligarchy at Plymouth, for they constituted an exclusive body and only cautiously admitted any newcomers to partnership with them in authority. As time went on, the great body of the people had nothing to say as to taxes or government. Citizens at Plymouth and in all New England Citizenship at Plymouth and in all New England was a matter of special selection in the case of each individual. The terms of the magistrates were made permanent by a law affording them precedency of all others in nomination on the election day. The towns of New England were little oligarchies, not democracies. It was different in Virginia, Tyler says. There, the House of Burgesses, which was the great controlling body, rested for more than a hundred years upon what was practically universal suffrage. And even after 1736, many more people voted in Virginia than in Massachusetts. There was a splendid and spectacular body of aristocrats in Virginia, but they had nothing like the power and prestige of New England preachers and magistrates. By no stretch of the imagination, says Dr. Charles M. Andrews, professor of history at Yale University, can the political condition in any New England colony be called popular or democratic. Government was in the hands of a very few men. Tyler goes on to say that Virginia led in all the measures that established the independence of the United States, which is true. Um, he says, during the war that ensured, ensued, I'm sorry, Virginia contributed to the war, what must all allow was the soul of the war, the immortal George Washington, whose immense and moral personality accomplished more in bringing success than all the money employed in all the armies placed in the field. And the war had its ending at Yorktown, only a few miles from the original settlement at Janestown. The father of his great republic was a Virginian. Virginia led in the work of organizing the government of the United States. Virginia, through her explorers, generals, and presidents, made the Union a continental power. It was Patrick Henry and George Rogers Clark who effected the conquest of the Northwest Territory. A Virginia president, James Monroe, gave to the world his name the Monroe Doctrine, 
which has regulated the present day the relations of Americans to the nations of Europe and the rest of mankind. Of course, this is pre-World War I. Virginians created those ideals for which the Republic of the United States stands today. Democracy, religious freedom, and education. <laughs> so, I mean, all these things. Uh, before 1861, the Union consisted practically of two nations separated by the Mason and Dixon's line, and differing, differing in habits and thoughts, customs, and largely in institutions. It was only the pressure of British taxation that brought these two nations together, and immediately after the peace of 1783, the separate forces began to exert themselves. So he's getting into the war. In the war for Southern independence, he says, as in the American Revolution, Virginia furnished the ideal man. In one war it was George Washington, and the other it was Robert E. Lee. Both these great men were distinguished by the union of a handsome person with a supremely majestic soul, brave, refined, dignified, and clean. They were, indeed, kingly men. Now, that's of course, is very politically incorrect to say. You can't say anything good about Robert E. Lee nowadays. The contributions of Virginia to science should not be passed in this summary of her priorities. Um, you had um, several scientific discoveries, which I'm not going to get into. Um, but this was Virginia first. And I think that when you start talking about the first Thanksgiving or the first this or the first that, you have to look at Virginia and I would hope that as we go into celebrate Thanksgiving, this is something that you'll think about. Maybe you listen to this, to this episode before Thanksgiving, and you can say, you know what, really, you will annoy your relatives if you do this. You know what, really, we're celebrating something that wasn't the first. The first Thanksgiving as an annual event was held in Virginia. The first Thanksgiving was actually in Florida, not the Pilgrims. I think we do ourselves an injustice as Americans by putting so much emphasis on New England. Uh, not that there weren't beneficial things that came out of New England. But we put too much emphasis on New England uh, at our own peril because New England had so many problems that uh, we often ignore. Because, as a friend of mine said, the problem is New England is the only place in America where everybody did nothing wrong ever. And this, is the, this is the idea, that nobody ever did anything wrong in New England ever. Um, and everywhere else, you've got people that did something wrong. So New England are these pure people, New Englanders are these pure people, and they lead everything else. But this is just simply not true. And I think the more that you understand American history, the more that you'll say, you know, maybe we shouldn't put so much emphasis on New England. Um, that would be a good thing for the future of America. So instead of New England first, it should be Virginia first. Virginia led in everything. And again, if I, I agree with Calhoun. If Virginia would just lead again, not, not the current incarnation of Virginia, because that's, that's a lost cause. That's Washington, D.C. now. But this old Virginia, if that Virginia would just lead again, we'd be okay. And this little piece by Tyler is just so good, because he gets into all these things. So I will see you next time on the post-Thanksgiving Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs>